Listener Production. I'm automotive commentator and journalist Greg Rust, and this is Rusty's Garage. This is one of those episodes that left me thinking, why the bloody hell didn't I get this guest on ages ago? I'm in our cool new Melbourne listener studios today and James McFadden has kindly made the trip in when ordinarily he'd be banking much-needed frequent family points back in Australia during the off-season from his hectic American sprint car racing program. He's the only Aussie currently running the full schedule there. McFadden is a great motor racing export from our part of the world, but his story hasn't been widely told and I'm pleased we're among a few media outlets now shining more light on it. He deserves it. James is also going to do some racing while he's back down under, including a milestone meet that is close to his heart. And he's hooked up with a car owner group for the mission that sure packs some horsepower, including IndyCar sensation Scott McLaughlin, AFL star Jack Rewalt, media identity and broadcaster Jared Waitley, and an old colleague of mine, respected sports TV producer Tim Hodges, who's the driving force of the project. We'll chat about that, as well as rivalries, speedway legends, iconic American tracks, working for one of the best engine builders in supercars, and how that knowledge helps him behind the wheel. Plus, motorhome life on the road in the US, going track to track. And we'll get his thoughts on the state of Speedway in Oz too. As you'll hear, James has this easygoing nature. We hadn't seen each other since a Speedway launch years ago, and yet the conversation seems effortless. He's sporting an almost trademark beard nowadays that gives him a bit of a Ned Kelly look. His demeanour's relaxed, affable, but often in races I've found that belies an inner hunger and fearlessness, qualities that I'm sure come to the surface once his helmet goes on. In order to understand McFadden's makeup, we wound the clock back to life as a little tacker, growing up in the Northern Territory, Central Australia, in a family with a real sense of adventure that were properly into motorsport. Yeah, random place to uh, to to grow up. Obviously, my parents are, are both from Sydney, uh, and then when they were younger, went travelling around Australia and uh, ended up in Alice Springs, I think. And then Dad started a, a car yard, used car yep. yard there, and uh, that's where the racing all sort of began. Dad. Dad raced sprint cars um, in Alice Springs and Darwin, and they used to do an NT sprint car trail, so Tennant yep. Creek and Catherine. And I grew up, you know, working on it and hanging around the, the speedway. And then uh, at the age of seven, I, I got my first go kart, um, painted up the same as Dad's sprint car. So I thought <laughs> I was, I thought I was the best. It was, uh, it was really cool. It was an absolute turd of a go kart. Um, <laughs> shocking. So we. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realise how bad it was until, you know, two years later he, he actually bought me a cart and we won our first race. It was like, oh, oh, it's a little easier than what I first thought. So, yeah, grew up in Alice Springs, great place to grow up, um, you know, running in the go-kart at the motor re- vehicle, like the registry The office. registry, yeah, amazing. Um, up and down the scales where the road trains went, um, <laughs> you know, riding the four-wheeler to the to the Arunga Park Speedway at that time. Um you know, to because we couldn't fit it in the trailer. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun growing up. Have a lot of great friends that are still there, and um, 
you know, race go-karts through Adkid go-karts, the dirt carts through, uh, man, I would have been seven till I was 16. So yeah, really enjoyed that, that the, part of it. The influences for family, um, you touched a little bit on your, your dad there, who's, um, got this, uh, deft touch, very, very good on the tools, but, but that he raced as well. But the racing in the family actually goes further than that because a bit of stuff for your mum that we should probably cover. And, and am I right in saying there's some solo bike racing experience in the family too? Yeah, so my my mum's dad uh, was a professional solo rider in England uh, from the 40s through to, you know, 50s, 60s raced. Um, I can't exactly remember the team that he raced for, but he captained that team um, in, in England and I said got paid for it back then. So that was... That was pretty cool. We still got some of his leathers and, and helmets and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think he raced, you know, the Liverpool and the, the showgrounds and stuff yeah. uh, in the 60s and did a few veterans races there towards towards the end of, um, yeah, towards the end. So, yeah, absolutely been a big part of racing my whole life. Oh, um, yeah. I still remember going to his place in, in Bankstown. Yeah. Uh, that's where they lived and uh, we talk, you know, racing and you know, they get to race on velodromes back then on the bikes and pretty crazy. And then my dad's dad, he was, uh, he actually raced speed boats. Um, I'm pretty sure he did the, you know, the FedEx trial back then in the, in an MG and, and then my dad's raced about everything. He's done the Baja 1000. Um, then he was a co-driver back then and, and my mum raced off-road buggies and, yeah, so (laughs) I think I was destined to, to drive something at some stage, but, um, a lot of, a lot of history uh, it's really cool to, to sit, you know, with my grandma who's, who's still, hmm. still around with us and, and talk about that, that sort of stuff. Or even, you know, I still remember at 10, 10 years old, we went, um, pre-running a, a buggy with mum cause she was thinking about getting back into it. So excellent. yeah, we've, yeah, we've been around racing a lot really. But I love that it's uh, such a strong family influence and, and, um, iconic things that you just rattled off very easily, like, like Sydney Showground Speedway and stuff like that. Um, just take us to poster influences for you. Was it just family or were there, you know, as a kid growing up, were you like, oh, you know, this sprint car racer or that? Who, who were some of the poster influences for you? Yeah, it's, it's funny to say this now. I, I grew up before social media. So, yeah. you know, so watching American guys wasn't as big a thing as what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so Australia to me is the you know, place, the, place, the mm. pinnacle. Like you heard of Brooke Tatnell going to America and you heard of Kerry Madsen and skip jackson Some, you know yeah. racing in america but it wasn't like oh, i'm just going to flip up twitter and and watch what they're doing they it was mm. uh it was just what you saw you know i got to see your danny lasoskis and your danny smiths come out here and race so uh to me it was it was brooke tannell he was the guy i looked up to um and he was realistically when i was 16 the only guy that really gave me the time of day mm. um you know and would be would be happy to to yell out some advice. I remember I was my first World Series race. I was leading the the heat race, and he was running second. And we pulled up in a red red light, and he was yelling, and I just looked dead straight, thinking, "Oh no, I've chopped him or cut him off, and he, I'm in trouble." And he's like, he just yelled, "Keep doing what you're doing. I won't pass you. You're doing a good job." And I thought, "Oh, well, that you know, he doesn't have to do that, or he's trying to get in my head and rattle me." But um, yeah, so he was probably the biggest influence, you know, outside of my family. Mm. Um, obviously some great people that have owned my cars and sponsors over the time that have, you know, helped me with life mm. things, but the racing side of things absolutely would be hands down Brooke. And, um, it's actually really cool now. I, I sort of do that with him. Um, yeah. you know, he's, he's, 
on the way now he's, you know, out of the World of Outlaws tour and stuff like that. He's mm-hmm. sort of racing locally and he'll come over to me and go, oh, what do you reckon my car's doing or what do you think I should do? And, and it's cool to be able to, you know, to, to back and forward like that. So, yeah, he's been a, probably the, the biggest influence racing-wise outside of my, my dad on my career for sure. I'm glad that you brought him up because Bronny Ingerson is a colleague and, and friend, a supercast producer, a great you know, you know presenter and reporter and loves Speedway immensely. And she brought this up when I, I was doing a bit of homework for this about your relationship with him, the great rapport that you have with him, the, the um, almost, I think her words were like master and apprentice because he, he'd walked that road before you hadn't he in in terms of going to the states and doing those things yeah absolutely there's no um with sprint car racing there's no sort of feeder series to get to america like your you know your european asphalt stuff you can you know you race your um, formula fords and you can go up that way where sprint cars is sort of here's a 900 horsepower good luck (laughs) yeah have have fun and um you know there's sort of no right or wrong way to go there and, and do it. So to have someone like him in your corner and, and, you know, to look up to me, to look up to someone like him, he's, he's very outspoken, but he, to me, it's all for the good of the sport Sporting. and the, and the, you know, the best possible thing for the sport. So for me, having a role model like that was great. Um, yeah, we, I think the coolest part about our relationship is we've probably raced the hardest out of all of them and we've never crashed. Amazing. We've never run into each other. We've never crashed into each other. We joke about it, yeah. you know, and, you know, we can get a little cheeky sometimes and, and do a slider that's probably not as clear as you thought. But, you know, that to me is is huge. Um, you know, yeah. respect in yeah. a racer. And to me, you know, Brooke Tattnall's earned as much respect mm. as anyone in the field. I think he's, you know, 75 World Series wins. And, mm. you know, to me, the, the best Australian um, all-round guy and mm. you know that's uh it's pretty cool to be able to call him a friend and, friend, and someone yeah. that i i really looked up to i can vividly recall mate going to his um his father george tatnell's funeral and the, and the people the the volume of speedway family spilling out of that church i did i didn't go out inside i stayed outside because there was just so many people I me mean, his dad was such a an iconic figure in um, in Speedway. It's great that he's gone off and done that, and that you have that that kind of bond, um, if you like. Let's let's dial it back a, a fraction here. Um, you wanted to be, I think, a mechanical engineer in school. You've done your research. And, and and am I right in saying too that you got to experience some cool things when you were at school? Stuff like um, like outward bound style pursuits where you would go off for for you know big distances, hiking and 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 stuff like that. You. You're not afraid of adventure, mate, are nah, you? No, nah, no, absolutely. Uh, the engineering stuff sort of started. I actually did work experience for Tasman Motorsport. Did you? Yeah, and Wally when Wally Story, Story was, was there. Yeah, and we were. Who, who was driving for them then? Uh, Jason Richards. Richards. Was, like yeah, Jason Richards yeah, awesome. yeah. yeah. Um, How old so were you we then? actually bu- were building a car, a yeah. new car. Then ah, uh, well, what's grade nine, ten, whatever Fantastic. that. Yeah. So yeah. I was probably s- hadn't started racing sprint cars yet. So I was, you know, fifteen. Uh-huh probably so yeah really enjoyed that side of things and and enjoyed the the engineering side of what i could see as as what they showed me yeah. <laughs> um, he's a great old school guy wally story yeah. to draw i mean like, like yep. quick one-liners and straight to the point isn't he yeah, yeah 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 so that was a lot of fun and then yeah obviously um the school i grew up in, in alice springs st phillips did a lot of really cool um outdoor education stuff you know we went on um ski camps in Mittagundi in, in Melbourne here and Amazing. went 10 days in the, in the snow. and A world navigate. away from Alice Springs. Yeah, yeah, navigation stuff and, and obviously all of that uh, 
getting dropped out into the wilderness in in, uh, in Northern Territory there and trying mm. to find your way back for nine days. So they did a great program through, you know, through school and enjoyed that side of things. Always enjoyed things that got your heart rate sort yeah. of mm. going, but yeah, always always fell back to racing. It was always the, the number one. But Did that teach you a life skill <clears throat> or something that you perhaps keep with you to this day, that style of thing? Well, I think independence, mm. you know, having a, like when you leave, I left home at 17, so to go race, um, mm. that, that sort of, that sort of stuff I think gives you, yeah, your independence to having to work things out yourself, some, some problem solving and, uh, common sense, mm. um, in a lot of aspects when you're hiking in the middle of the, the bush at the most common sense things, the best way to do it. Do so it, yeah. yeah, learn a lot of really cool things. Like I said, um, that, that program there, I think something that most people should, do. you know, get the opportunity mm. to do. So, mm. Uh, really thankful that we could do that for sure. Thanks to my buddy Stu McCarthy who reminded me that yeah. he's got his great own podcast, I should point yeah. out too. You moved to Mackay to work, I think, as a diesel mechanic, um, literally, mate, the moment you finished your exams for school. Is that right? Uh, yeah, so uh, had a meeting. Um, it was actually Australian title in Perth the year before. had a meeting with Dan Morton um, mm. about going to drive his car. You know, for So mum and dad seemed we could really only do 10 races a year um and then he came up with the proposal of doing a two-car team um 40 races full world series schedule so to me that was you know 17 years old that's the that's the pinnacle to work to me world series was was the place, the yeah. place to be as a, mm. as a sprint car driver so we jumped on that but my my dad said absolutely not unless he's got a job and he had a uh, diesel fitting company out in the mines and mm. Dad's like, you're not doing it unless you get an apprenticeship and a job. And uh, so, yeah, I did my year 12 maths exam and literally flew out that day to, to Perth and went and worked on Dan's car uh-huh. um, for a couple nights and, and he couldn't make it to a race and, and I raced it and we ran third uh, at Kwinana. So, yeah, then straight on the plane to Mackay and, and started my diesel fitting apprenticeship and... Um, not the not the first job that I would have <laughs> thought I was going to do, and uh, <laughs> it's definitely not not my favourite uh, favourite couple of years of working. But um, learn a lot mm. doing that. Um, you know, we we ran the the workshop side of things there, and are out you know servicing excavators and thirty tonners and rollers and Amazing. stuff straight out of school. So yeah, I was living the dream. I, I got mm. to race forty races, and I think you know, fly in and out. I think we would have done a hundred flights that year because it was Mackay, Brisbane, Brisbane, hmm. anywhere else. And yeah, got to, uh, got to race some really cool races and, and do some things, but yeah, diesel fittings definitely in the mines is, I take my hat off to those guys. It's not the, not the funnest job out there in Mackay. How different was the James McFadden of then versus the James McFadden of now? And what, what things did you learn tighten up because you, you you know you're a you're a uh, professional racer now and and family man and so on but you were a different guy back then weren't you Did yeah. you describe yourself as a skater boy or something what yeah you? i had uh <laughs> believe it or not long blonde hair and my pants around my ankles and <laughs> had a skateboard with me i actually the day of my first race in a sprint car my mates were like oh we'll go for a quick skate and i uh, i broke my collarbone oh <laughs> yeah and i i remember Did you hide that <laughs> nah, no. I remember thinking, oh, it's just dislocated, it'll be okay. And my mates were trying to pop it all back in. And then I'm like, man, I'm going to be in so much trouble. So my dad ended up racing the car and he made me stand on the infield and watch him the whole night. And I, yeah. he's like, right, are you going to skate or are you going to race? Like we, we're putting money into this. You've got to 
take it seriously. So that was the last time I rode a skateboard. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, like growing up and, and experiencing life, you, mm. things change. And yeah. um, I'd like to think I'm still the same kid as I was that grew yeah. up in Alice Springs. But, you know, you, you take on different things in life that, that change mm. change you in certain ways. But yeah, I'm still laid back and, you know, sort of a chilled out person. Mm. But um, when you strap your helmet on, there's you got to be that confident, a little bit ego yeah. driven. And, uh, you know, back then I'd just strap your helmet on cause it was, it was great fun and, and it's what you wanted to do your whole life. And now you strap it on cause you're trying to feed your family. Yeah. So it's just a different way, um, different way of thinking, but yeah, still, still the same guy for but sure. They are an intoxicatingly beautiful machine. That's probably not the right word I should use in conjunction with that, but, but you know, amazing horsepower, Throttle is actually your friend because you want them to constantly go left. Take people there to your first proper drive in one, where you were, what you felt, and the impact that it had on you. Uh, so Dad had a uh, a ride with 360 at the time, a, a ride day for sponsors, and, and guys like Dave Fellows, mm-hmm. the yep. you know, Fink Desert Race guy, and they, they were all driving it and having a good time. And I remember I packed my suit. Because I just thought, you know, I was, 15, I was 15, so <laughs> I packed my suit and, and been racing go-karts a long time. And and my dad was a big person on if you if you bug me, you're not going to get a go. I remember we had a CI125 in the shed and I'd be like, Dad, can I take it for a ride? Can I take it for a ride? And I never rode that bike. Wow. Because I kept asking. And he'd just be like, no. <laughs> so I remember just sitting there, just looking at him, probably with the puppy dog eyes, like, come on. And I remember him nodding, going, go get your suit. And I... Could not have ran any faster, got dressed, come back down, and we had to put uh, a yellow pages and pillows underneath the seat so I could see and then fit in the seat. Just oh, sort of really? slap the belts over the top. And um, I'd won a lot of races in go-karts, so I thought I was a bit of a badass. Uh-huh. So I, I push start this thing, and I get down the back straight, and I go from zero throttle to 100%. And just tank slapped it the whole way down the straight. And then I still remember my dad walking out onto the track and giving me the come, come on. This way. <laughs> slap me across the helmet and say, if you do any of that stuff again, you'll never drive. And then so I pushed off and, you know, sort of built up. Took to it him. a little bit easy from yeah. then and actually ripped around the track pretty good. We were really close to the lap record there at Alice that, that first time. And um yeah, hooked ever since there. Mm. There's such a you know, I've been fortunate enough to drive some really cool cars, you know, Lamborghinis and stuff, mm. but not a lot of race style cars, but nothing's ever come close comparison wise to me to a sprint car. It's, they're so violent and, mm. you know, you've, you've been in one mm. and, you know, just idling around, they don't like going slow mm. that they, you know, there's no driver aids, there's no harmonic balancer on the engine. So everything's just so harsh. Um, you know, aluminium seat, you just... They're, they're old school, but they're not at the same time, you know, with the, the driver aids and, you know, no data logging, no any of that stuff. So everything you do is by feel and, um, you know, by your butt and, and every, the noise. So, yeah, I just, I, I tend to try and explain it to people that really haven't got any driving experience as a jet ski. Okay. You know, if you, if you lift on a jet ski and try and turn the corner, it's not going to do it. Mm. So the faster you ride a jet ski and get it to lean and turn, the easier they are to ride, which is a lot like a sprint car. But then there's that over the edge point and you've seen what happens then when they when they crash. So yeah, I I love sprint car racing. I've never had any urge to go and race anything else, else outside of them because I just think they're such a roar and 
um, yeah, perfect, perfect machine really to me. James is quite a fan of the garage. Among his favourite episodes is Tony Cochran, which you might enjoy too. Perhaps Speedway can learn from TC, who turned supercars into one of Australia's biggest sports and is now a driving force of the WSX, the World Supercross Championship. All you can do is put the spade in the dirt and try and turn it over and make it work. Um, our dream is to grow it to 16 international rounds by the fifth year. Check out Coco if you haven't already. Now it's back to the podcast. I love the ethic that your dad instilled in you around working and so on. Part of the journey for you involves some time at uh, at KRE, working with Kenny McNamara. I mean, very impressive record in, in supercars from an engine building standpoint and in your world as well in, in sprint cars. How did you get that job? What was the job? What did you learn? And how important do you reckon that is for young racers to have some some empathy, some knowledge mechanically. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the deal in Mackay um, ended at the end of that year, and I I had uh, no want to stay <laughs> and yeah. be a diesel diesel fitter. Yeah. Uh, so I remember ringing up Dave Sharman, who was my crew chief at yep. the time, and um, you know, really really good mate, and saying, "Hey, have you got you got a spare bed? I can come and." He was living in Brisbane. You can, I can come and crash for a couple of weeks till I find my feet and figure out what I'm going to do with life. So I threw my toolbox in the back of my XG ute. I had an XG long reach, <laughs> Montana. Threw that in the back and uh, and went to uh, went to Brisbane. And you know, a couple of days in, I was I, Kenny was the engine builder for the the team I was driving for, and I said I'll just come and clean some parts and hang out for a little bit. And you know, you I don't need to be paid straight away and mm. you know if there's a spot there's a spot so yeah we just sort of pulled engines apart and cleaned them and swept the shop and, and at that time there was only three employees at KRE and it was Titan Garage's sprint car team mm-hmm. was in the front section and we had to move the trailer out every day to be able to get to like the machine side of things and and stuff like that so obviously Kenny was quite new into the the scene the mm-hmm. scene of I don't even think we were doing V8 supercar engines wow. at that time mm-hmm. um you know, and then obviously to grow to what he is now is, yeah, is yeah. pretty crazy. So, yeah, I did my uh, I did my uh, engine reconditioning apprenticeship there. So I was, I'm a machinist by trade. So mm-hmm. I, I did all of the machining stuff there. And then uh, one of the engine builders left, and I put my hand up and said, "I can build engines. It'll be it'll be all good." So yeah, I started building all of the the sprint car, all the brand new sprint car stuff um, towards the end there. So. Yeah, had a really have a really good relationship with Kenny um, and Wendy, and and developed you know developed their sprint car engine stuff was was a lot of fun. You know, as I was racing at the time, we were we were building engines there, so I could give a lot of feedback, and we could change some stuff. and mm. And I really think he's got you know one of the best engines you know in the world as sprint car wise, and obviously mm. his fair supercar stuff um, speaks for itself with what Triple Eight do. But mm. uh, yeah, big big part of that. Um, huge part of the learning process of understanding cars and you know fuel systems and camshafts and I I I think there's a lot of different there's engine assemblers and engine builders and um you know I I could be a really good engine assembler but the ins and outs to me is what makes a really good engine builder and um getting to know that stuff was was crazy I think yeah I learned more about motors pulling them apart because I understood um you know the guy that was driving that engine i'm like Mm. all right that guy's fast in this situation and 
slow in this situation. Why? So you'd pull apart an engine and I may or may not have done some cam timing and some of the motors and, mm. and figured out, you know, little things that would make that guy, I thought, make that guy better, better. or worse. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just learning the the ropes of building an engine is exactly mm. the same as the, learning the ropes of driving a car. There was little things that I found worked for me that I could sell that exact motor to another guy and, and he hated it because your foot was in a different spot or he drove in a different RPM range. Like I said before, we mm. we don't have data logging. So you're going off the Deal. word of mm. me saying, yeah, I'm half throttle when I really might be three quarter throttle. So okay. yeah, learn a lot. Um, I think it's important to a point. Um, I think sometimes it hurts me that I, I know a little too much really? and I start thinking, well, if I change that cam or if I change this, I'm going to be better instead of just driving, you know. Okay. Um, so I think it's a fine line between, I always tell any young kid that I try and help race that you need to understand your car, but you don't need to be able to change the shock shim mm. to be able to, you know, take 10 pound out of the rebound or something. Mm. Cause I think you overcomplicate things and get it, get it. Sprint cars are, you know, as you've seen, there's no definitive apex in the corner. So if I change the way I drive a little bit. I can change the way my motor feels or I can change the way the car handles because I've changed my apex. So, yeah, Which I think... Which is one of the beauties of that form of racing, oh, that type of racing, isn't it? That's why I think, mm. to me, why I love it so much. But, yeah, yeah I think that's a... There's, there's a fine line between knowing too much and, and not knowing enough. So mm. I think I got to the point where I knew too much and then I backed it back down. And so I was building all my own engines when I was driving for Scott Milling in the 25 car. And uh, when I went to the 17 car with the Monty motorsport deal, I'm like, I'm not doing them because I think too much about it. I'm not, I'm not concentrating enough on the driving, on the driving part okay. of it. So yeah, it's a, cool. it's a tough, tough spot. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get to a little bit more of the career stuff. I haven't necessarily gone linear so far in this, um, in this, in this conversation, uh, but just, just mentors. I mean, you talked about the great relationship with, with Brooke. Um, what about some other people along the way, maybe even in the early days that were, were very important in, in helping you perhaps on and off track? Yeah, um, Paul Stubber, mm. um, big influence uh, on my career. He sponsored me in my go-kart days. So okay. if we rewind it back to the go-kart days, I wanted to travel a lot. Um, we we did really well in Alice Springs and, mm-hmm. and that obviously being in the middle of nowhere, Lovely. it was tough to tough to travel. So you did big miles? You must have been doing big yeah, miles. Yeah, yeah. So my dad said to me, if, if whatever you get in sponsorship money, I'll match and that'll be, you know, our budget for the year and carts. So I ended up getting you know, seven and a half grand or something. So he's like, man, I, that sucks. <laughs> and, uh, and that was sort of our budget. So I used that to be able to fly to Adelaide. Um, and I had, um, some friends down there that looked after my cart and I'd sort of fly in and get ready and race mm-hmm. on the Sunday and, and sort of fly back. And, you know, guys like Paul Stubble were big on, you know, sponsorship. I remember I was 10, I think when I sent the sponsorship letters out, I still have the letter at Do home. You? And it was like, what is my company going to get out of you? You know, it's not just here's the money. It was thing. And then I I remember we sent, um, I sent a go-kart on the train to WA and and flew over and Paul and I just went to the races and we we won the WA go-kart title. And he made me a frame with the rag that he had in his pocket all day saying this crew chief, you know, crew chief (laughs) luck and stuff like that. So yeah, I've got um, some really influential people like Paul. He's in America, well, he was in America at the moment racing late models over awesome. there with the Outlaw Tour. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was fun to catch up with him while we were there. And yeah. um, just a lot of lot of people, car owner-wise, like, you know, Scott Milling gave me the opportunity when we were young and 
he, they're like family to me. Mm. Um, yeah, then you have people like Casey in America that that have become really good friends. Casey that are, Kane, you're yeah, Casey yeah. Kane. Um, you know that that I'm not driving for him right anymore, but but you have though. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah but he's you know been really influential on you know life and and stuff like that. So it's uh yeah, there's there's plenty of people that have put their hand up along the way and helped me through mm. a lot of things. And you know, great crew chiefs like you know your Dave Sharmans and Kim Buzzy and mm. People like that that become great mates, but also you know you get little snippets of life from mm. all these people that have that have done you mm. know a lot of really cool things. So you learn a lot. Carting is one thing. Working the jobs is is another. As you're finding your way in in life here, right? Is there a moment where you felt like, okay, I can. This is the commencement now of something that I could absolutely pursue in a in a in a life sense. And my my question's a little bit loaded here, right? This may not be the answer. You you might have a, a better one. Owen Kelly reminded me for this chat that I think you turned up for World Series Sprint Cars. You might have been sixteen years old and you put it on pole. Am I right in saying that? And and how influential was a moment like that in in what's now life for you? Yeah, that was, uh, was pretty close. So my mm. first race uh, in Adelaide, I won my first heat race. That, that was that Brook Tatnell conversation mm-hmm. we just had. And then uh, the next one, I hung it from the catch fence. Okay. <laughs> so I went from a really Polar big opposites. hero to zero. And then uh, so we fixed the car up and went to Warnable and went quick time at the World Series race and mm-hmm. put it on the pole. And um, yeah, and that year I'd, I ran uh, fifth at, you know, the King's Challenge, which is a big race to... Mm you know, behind Brian Brown and um, I'm pretty sure it was Craig Delansky, which were World of Outlaw guys. And mm. I'm like, man, this is it's a little easier than I thought it was going to be. And then the next year, I was terrible. Okay. You know, so it, um, I don't think there's a point where I thought, hey, this is, this is, I'm, I'm good enough to have a job. Mm-hmm. But I knew there was a point I had a little bit of talent. So I just wanted to pursue that. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I think making realistic goals is what helped me through all of that. You know, I didn't go, I'm going to be a World of Outlaws superstar straight away. Like mm. I, I reached goals and then made the next goal like, okay, if if I win, if I make A-mains this year, it's going to be great. If I run top 10, then you realistically, all right, I'm, I'm in it to win races now mm. and then I'll win a World Series championship. And then I didn't go to America until I was – uh, won an Australian title and won a World Series championship, and then I, I was ready. Like I went there ready, and hmm. you know, and we performed. So, are you big on that sort of like goal setting, or or uh, or, or just uh, even a target, even having a target? Yeah, source? targets mm. to me are mm. are big, and like I said, being realistic with your goals. You know, it's everyone wants to go and win. Whether you're a, you know, V8 supercar, a go kart guy that wants to be in V8 mm. supercars, I'm going to win Bathurst. Well, that's not a realistic goal. Mm. You need to build up to get to, to that goal. Mm. So. I've always sort of done that, um, and I think that's helped my racing career. But mm. yeah, the end goal was always to be a professional sprint car driver, and and to do that, you sort of need to be in America. So mm. we just worked hard to to get to that to point. There was yeah. definitely points, you know, points in that that era that I thought I wasn't going to make it. You know, we we shipped cars to America and with Scott Milling's deal, and that whole deal fell through right at the last minute, and that was to me my big chance to make it to America. And, I just remember sitting on the couch like, that's it. I'm, you know, that was going to be, that was going to be it. And 
two days later, my phone rang. An American car owner rang me to, to go and race their car for six weeks. I was, I was all good again. <laughs> so, you know, and I, when I lost that ride when I was, was 17 um, with Dan Morton and went back to Brisbane, didn't know what I was going to do and just ended up driving anything I could get my hands that's on all. at the time. Mm. And mm. Um, I think that's a big difference between Speedway and, and a lot of asphalt stuff. You know, mm. you, there's a lot of car owners out there that are willing to do five or six races here or there. So you mm. just jump in what you can get. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, to be sitting here now is racing on the World of Outlaws tours is pretty crazy. Pretty, yeah. Um, yeah. Do those tough moments teach you more in many respects and what, what has it taught you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, hard knocks always help. Mm. Um, sometimes for the better. Uh, sometimes they're, you know, they're hard to, to get, get over. Mm. Um, for example, this year for me, it, it took me 70 races to win a World of Outlaws race, which which is terrible, mm. um, you know, and, and in, a, in a normal world, you're struggling to stay in that car and stay in a seat. So mm. you lose that ride, then you're you know, you yeah. back to Australia. So, mm. um, yeah, there's definitely times where you're, where you're on, on rock bottom. And, you know, that, like I said, that when I lost that ride, when I was 17, we actually got a car, one of my mate's car from out the back that was all rusty. And my dad and I put some torsion bars in it and <laughs> sent it and we were on a tilt tray and, and we won that race. So then that, you know, I got to drive Reeve Crux tight yes. garages car right. a couple of times because of that, mm. you know, and then, and then that all just snowballs into something good but yeah i think i think it makes you appreciate every opportunity you get and then mm. car owners and sponsors see that and and want to be a part of it so definitely helps yeah we'll get to some good things you have both america and here in the coming months and 2023 as we we go in the conversation here can i ask you when you when you pull that visor down you have this beautiful easygoing nature about you our conversation is is easy here mate but when the visor goes down is james mcfadden a different bloke and what what are you like I'm the best race car driver that's ever <laughs> ever lived. No, I think that um, sounds cocky, but you have to have, you have a bit to of that. Have a, don't yeah, you? yeah, yeah. I so I have a every. I, I sit here very calm and cruisy, mm. and and I'm like that in life a lot. Not much bothers me, but I don't like to fail. I okay. like I'll never give up. I've never given up in a race car ever. Like mm. I'll always keep trying until it comes unglued, basically. But mm. um. I think that's what makes me where I am now. Um, mm. Is that you know I'm not I'm I'm not happy to run tenth. You know I'm not I'm not happy if my car's not good. I'll change everything I can possibly do to to go faster. So mm. I think yeah, when my visor's shut, I'm I'm just I'm very aggressive, mm. which is the complete opposite to what I am now. Mm. Now so mm. yeah, I think all race car drivers will tell you you've got to have an ego. You mm. have to. Mm. Um, you won't lie. It's a brutal game otherwise, and you just, you, you just, you'll be too nice and you'll get pushed around, and that's that's no good. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, absolutely, and, and sprint car racing's aggressive. Mm. People are going to use you up. You're going to get your mm. butt hurt a lot about how people <laughs> have driven you, and, you know, you just – the more you can fight back at that guy that did that, mm. the more you're going to win. Win, yep. yeah. The extension to that question naturally leads to rivalries, right? Sport is built on rivalries, and invariably, as you climb the ladder in sport, you're going to have moments where you 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 know have either a coming together with someone or a disagreement with someone or whatever it might be. And the you know the stuff, for example, with with Robbie Farr is is well documented. But respect to you because you have the ability to keep that to kind of the track when that's been like mm -hmm. that. And if in in the event that he walked in here now and we were all able to have a corona together, it would be okay, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I grew up in the era where you could still get hit <laughs> if you were smart. And I grew up with Robbie Farr, Far, Kerry yeah. Madsen, Gary Brazier, mm. you know, guys that weren't scared to th- throw hard, one hard. Yeah, <laughs> if, yeah. you, uh, if you did it. So you had to be respectful, but there was also a time where I thought I'd earned enough respect, you know, for them to do the same to me. And, and Robbie and I, we butted heads. Um, and I probably picked the biggest, angriest guy in the pits <laughs> to do that with, you know? Um, but like I said, we can, we can go to a barbecue right now and, and mm. have 20 beers and it'd be fine. Mm. Not once you'd talk about racing or, mm. or anything like that. So, um, I have a lot of respect for what Robbie's done in racing. Um, I don't agree all the time with the way he races sometimes, but mm-hmm. that's just my opinion and, mm. and he's probably thinks exactly the same about, you. about mm. me. Mm. You know, Kerry Madsen and I have, have also had a very um, colourful past, <laughs> as you can see on some YouTube, YouTube videos. <laughs> and then we were teammates this year in America, crazy. which is crazy yeah. and, and worked yeah. unreal, you know, yeah. helping each other, getting up and down the road. So, um, yeah, there's definitely the the heroes and villains in, in sprint car racing. And, mm. and like I said before, we, we race so much compared to every other series that mm. at some stage you're going to crash. Mm. Uh, Jamie Veal and myself were good friends and he crashed me one night and we were at the pub the next day and it was on the TV. And the whole <laughs> pub's like, oh, this is going to be bad. Like, And we're just mates. mates. You know? So mm. it's, uh, yeah, it's, I have rivals that are you know that i do like to race and mm. guys that i'm like man this is going to be a brutal 30 laps because mm-hmm. i know what's coming but mm. i think that's what's cool too cool. i i love that elbows up get your mongrel like mm. let's have a let's have a go so mm. and it's going to turn into tears one out of the 10 yeah. times we do it for yeah. sure is it nice to be home mate because the schedule is massive for you i, I mean we you talk about a, a supercars championship of, I don't know, whatever it is, 12 or 14 rounds, and, and we're very proud of that. But what you do is just a whole nother level, you, you know, regular racing each week. I mean, it's – and crisscrossing across the country, which we'll get to. I mean, it's huge, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, last year we did 100 and – would have been up close to 110 races for the season between Australia and America, so busy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, like I said, we, we go to, I go to America on the, well, we race the classic mm. and then I'll fly out the next week and, and go to Volusia in Florida. And that's the start of the world of outlaws season. And that, mm. that runs till, uh, mid November. So yeah, crazy, crazy miles. I drive, we live in a motorhome. I drive the motorhome. I think we do, you know, 20, 25,000 miles and, um, yeah, just you're race dad, up and you're down dad the road. Now, yeah, always with dad, you on this, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. so yeah, I think the World of Outlaws schedule just come out. It was 84 races for this for this coming season. So, uh, you know, with a rain out here or there, and then you can throw in, you know, probably five or six other races we should be able to do, which, yeah, which is busy for sure. But um, for me, I don't live in America. America's not my home, so mm. I want to race as much as we can because it makes it worthwhile being there for mm. sure. How sustainable is all that? Because it's, oh. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's tough, mate, but it is something to be greatly admired because you're chasing the dream. You're going to legendary places, a um, lot of hard work and all of that. I mean, you, you, you know, from the success of a, a of a, a top five or a win or whatever it might be, and then the next day you're cleaning out the motorhome or whatever you're doing, you know. Yeah, unblocking the shitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> you said that on you. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy to to sit here and think, well, we come from Alice Springs and we made it, 
to, mm. to the World of Outlaws tour. And, and then there was a stat the other day that came out. I'm the only, the fourth Australian to ever do the, the tour, yep. which to me is mind blowing with how many sprint car races go mm. backwards it's and forwards. It's a very special club, mate. That yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, sustainable, sustainability wise is, unless you win everything, mm-hmm. you're not going to be a millionaire doing it. Mm-hmm. But you also get the chance to live the dream. I get to travel America with my boy and my wife mm. um i've seen him grow up you know he's a superstar in the pits now he goes he? through and all the drivers high five him and they take him on the four wheelers around the track Unreal. and like it's it's been a uh it's been a wild ride but um you know the, the cost of living over there it's it's the same as here it's mm. it's expensive getting the motorhome up and down the road and mm. you know i have to do it the motorhome way because of the family and not owning a house and stuff over there so yeah i think for me it's uh it's not a long-term deal mm-hmm. it's uh it's just a ticket off the list of the dream and i sort of sometimes wish i was a little younger and and these opportunities came up but they mm-hmm. didn't and mm-hmm. we're grabbing them with both hands now just for the benefit of our, our listeners let's talk about that club mate and you'll correct me if i don't have this right but it's it's brooke yep Kerry, ian madsen and yourself yep. am i right it's a yep. mega i mean yeah. that's have you paused to take that in have you uh sometimes yeah, yeah you know um we're so busy that it, it's crazy, but sometimes I actually, this year after the Knoxville Nationals, I just sat down and, you know, at the track and was like, oh, wow, this is cool. That was I'm our here. fourth Nationals mm. in a row that we made and uh, I didn't finish it, which was unfortunate, but it's still like, wow, this is cool. And, you know, we ran second at Eldora, which is yep. to me the, the ultimate racetrack. Yeah. And Iconic. you sit there and you're yeah. like, man, this is, this is pretty wild. It's, uh, you know, it's it's living, but then you still got to turn around and be like, man, I haven't won a race in 70 races. Like, let's go. go <laughs> so yeah. um, I think when I do slow down and, and stop mm. racing as much as what we do, I think I'll really sit down and be like, man, that was, they were the best times of life. You know, like I said, I get to, I get to live my dream, race a car for a job and do it with my family. You can't really get much better than that. No, exactly. Speedway fans, will the ears will automatically prick up at, at the thought of um, just famous, famous places. I mean, you talked about Knoxville or Eldora there. Um, I mean, if there were midget fans, they might automatically think of Chili Bowl, for example. But there are other places that you get to race as well that may not be necessarily on the mainstream map. What about some of the other smaller, different venues? What's that? What's that like? Yes, yeah, some uh, some wild old uh, hillbilly places we go to. Uh, <laughs> I remember Waynesfield, Ohio. I I jumped the cushion there and and landed in the cornfield. Oh, like still going because there was no fence, and I had a corn husks on the back of my car. <laughs> and I'm like, man, this is just it's it's really wild. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we race at some really wild places some really cool places like uh skagit which is up near seattle mm. you know you're up near the ocean up in, in the whole backdrops you know the mountains with the snow on them and beautiful area like it's it's unreal and then you go to you know vado new mexico which is mm. in the desert middle of nowhere and yeah we get to we get to race some wild places see some really cool things i've raced on indian reservations in canada and wow. i've raced uh you know quebec area in Canada where they all spoke French and yeah. you know I've, I've been to some New Zealand I've, I've raced at Western Springs, Springs and yeah. um yeah just got to travel a lot and do a lot of really cool things see mm. a lot of I think the thing that's the craziest thing over there is their dirt so much different at each place you go to so your, your Pennsylvania dirt versus your California dirt versus your Iowa dirt it's it's completely different 
and you drive a car completely different at all of these places. So I think that's the the craziest part, which is probably hard to explain to anybody. The mm. dirt colour's different, so the grip levels are different, and the way your eyes look at the dirt's got to be completely different. So yeah. that, to me, is better than some of the little tracks we go to because it's so interesting. You, with the Outlaw Tour, we go to a place that, say, Pennsylvania, they race 100 times a year in Pennsylvania. You go to a track where Lance DeWeese has won 120 races at that one track, yeah. and we roll in there and we've got to beat them because we're the world of outlaws. And, and, and they know it intimately. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. So I think that's the coolest part about the, the outlaw tour and, and traveling around to those some of those tracks that, you know, the the, the most motorsport fans wouldn't know who right. Lance DeWeese is, mm. who, you know, who's won hundreds of races in Pennsylvania and it's, you know, like, oh, he's not a mainstream guy. So it's... Yeah, it's it, that's the cool part. You're, the local the local talent's cool, and you go to this random track that races fifty times a year. <laughs> yeah, I want to come back to your career in a second, but just a couple of things while we're on this on this thread, if we can. Firstly, some of I mean, you've mentioned Casey Kane before. That's kind of modern era. Are there some legends that you've had the chance to meet, and maybe there are others within that community now that are that are friends and colleagues. You're not a name dropper, right? But but share with us some of the people that that because it ends up being a big community, a big family. What's Who, who are some that you've rubbed shoulders with? Come on. Yeah, so uh, so Joe Gertie, mm. um, he was, you know, his dad had Gertie race engines yeah. and in the in the 80s there, they were, if you didn't have a Gertie engine, engine. Steve Kinzer, Sammy Swindells, they all had that, you know, that. So I drove for him for, for two years and, and I actually lived in the hot rod shop on the couch in there and the walls were just plastered with old school victory lane photos and um, like that stuff to me is unreal. So Mm. I'd sit in the trailer with Joe going up and down the road and say, like, give me a story from the 80s. And it's like I was on the podcast, I was giving him the... (laughs) You're the interviewer. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, So, you know, people like that were great. Um, When I first drove in America, the the 55 car, those four guys were, you know, all in their uh, late late 50s, early 60s and um, had been doing it for, you know, 40 years up. And we went to the race shop and there was 50 seats up there from all the drivers that they've had over the years. And guys, you know, like Billy Pouch and Dave Blaney and yeah. people like that drove. So to hear stories from them and um, that was a really fun fun time in my career with those guys. It was not a lot of expectations and just a lot of, lot of fun. So, um, you know, then obviously your Casey's and um, like Will Power was at the uh, – Charlotte, the last race of the world Excellent. finals there, and he's we talk for an hour, and he loves it. Mad sprint car fan, he goes Excellent. to Swimber all the time, and yep. seeing Mark Weber at um, at the Knoxville Nationals, Nationals. and yep. I think you you get to bump into a lot of people and um, talk to a lot of people over over time. Like I with Triple Eight, you know, you get to meet all those guys, and when Casey Stoner was driving, you know, you, you got to meet him. So yeah, we meet a lot of really good people, and. Um, I just I like the old school guys. Stuff, I'm yeah. I'm old school at heart. I, mm. I really enjoy the the racing back then when they were you know true outlaw style. Bobby Allen, for example, yep. I'm really good friends with his with his son, and Excellent. you know you get to hang out and talk old stories with Bobby Allen in the middle of the desert somewhere is is pretty cool. It's 
sure is. That's the end of part one of my podcast with sprint car racer and family man James McFadden. The diesel mechanic turned engine builder is going all right, doing what he truly loves, chasing the American speedway dream. Now we're releasing this in the lead up to the 50th edition of the grand annual sprint car classic at Premier Speedway in Warrnambool. That's where James will be racing. It's a special event on the Aussie calendar. He's proud to be home for it. There will be a great lineup there. So get along and enjoy it if you can. In the meantime, we have more of the pod for you to enjoy. James stuck around for part two, which is in the Rusty's Garage Library and all set for you to stand on the gas right now. From a possible next generation McFadden racer who loves it, to bouncing back from a tough winless streak, going wheel to wheel with the likes of Shots, Sweet and more. Plus the state of the game back home. A game with loads of potential. 